Hello everybody, welcome to the Doceo podcast. Today's episode, COVID-19, an aggressive wake-up call for the world of education. While the act of learning has existed in some form or other since the beginning of times, be it 10,000 years or 4 billion years, depending on your belief system, the education system as we know it is only a couple of centuries old. I mean, we all know the story. As the world industrialized, more assembly line workers were needed. It created a market for docile, agreeable factory workers who would show up on time and do what they were told. Sitting in a classroom all day with a teacher was a good training for that. Information was hard to access and centralized, so an all-knowing teacher made sense. Also, pedagogical skills were certainly welcomed in a teacher, but he or she was mainly hired because he or she mastered knowledge that few had access to around him or her. The problem is information is no longer hard to access. It is no longer centralized, at least not at the levels we're talking about. So, I mean, yes, uh, attending a class from a world-renowned neurosurgeon or rocket scientist will still be a, a very enriching experience. But again, that is only if he or she also is armed with the necessary skills to share the important parts of the vast knowledge he or she possesses. Um, all in all, the, the school system in a majority of countries has been and still is often the worst thing that could happen to a creative mind. I should know. My fear is that we are bringing all those issues to the online world. As COVID-19 is forcing schools and governments to offer some sort of continuity, a look at the different strategies deployed around the world shows us we still have a long way to go before we can really benefit from what educational technologies have to offer to improve the students' learning journeys. I mean, for example, uh, right now, televisions and radios are back in flavor, as most countries in the developing world have resorted to broadcasting teachers explaining the basics of math or physics and so. We could spend an hour going through what is problematic about this approach. But again, it's hard to post a judgment on authorities here as they were caught by surprise by the virus and had to come up with the easiest strategies to implement. But seeing as the most adventurous proposals around the world mainly consist of either scanned learning material being put online or recordings of lecturers delivering a lesson being uploaded to YouTube, I think we can agree that technology is not being used the way it should be to support the learner's journeys. Post-COVID-19, lessons need to be learned. But enough of me. Today, I'll be speaking with Mesresha Benyam, a brilliant Ethiopian social entrepreneur with years of experience in education. I'll be speaking with Crystal Schaaf, a Fulbright Scholar at the University of Bombay in Senegal and a professor at Pace University, and Sandesh Shetty, a professional with more than 16 years of experience working with various universities, schools, and governments. Stay tuned. Hello, Ms. Risha. How are you doing? I'm doing good, um, despite all that's happening around us. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to yeah. stay in there. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, 
Okay, how are you doing? I'm I'm yeah. I'm tired of staying inside the house, which is weird for an introvert. I thought I would thrive as in this environment, but I realized that I am happy to stay in the house as long as I don't have to stay in the house. Exactly. And I have to stay in the house, then I just want to go out. So, yeah. yeah, that's true. <laughs> so it's important that the listeners know that we're talking with a brilliant mind. So I'll I'll, I'll read a bio, and if anything is is uh, of place please please uh, correct me all right okay i know you're not comfortable when the the focus is all on you that's <laughs> that's often with brilliant minds are like that but so masreta is a social entrepreneur with more than six years of experience in the technology world she has worked at different levels as a software programmer researcher senior programmer and a deputy general manager at both private and public organizations in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Currently, she's Managing Director of Omnitech Consultancy PLC, a social enterprise that aims to reduce the gender gap in technology through different school-organized activities. Her interests include working on machine learning-related projects and creating a better future for kids through quality education. How, how's that? How, the, how does that sound? Is this you? That seems like me. <laughs> Um, So Masricha and I met uh, in Boston. Uh, I felt a special connection with you and and I'm glad that we're able to to keep uh, that relationship going. Um, So how has COVID impacted your educational endeavors? Hmm. Well, I mean, education is, I think, one of the most highly hit Uh, sectors by COVID-19. Most students are partial, most countries have uh, closed down schools either partially or fully. Um, And as a result, many are left um, at home. Uh, Parents don't know what to do with them. Um, And of course, uh, the lucky ones get private tutors or quality, you know, education on the internet or things like that. But there are other kids who are just out there and not doing anything and not knowing what's happening um, to them. And so, yeah, I mean, it has a high impact so far. And I think it's going to continue uh, this way for at least for the foreseeable future. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how nobody was prepared. Let me ask you this. How do you think connectivity issues will impact the, the adoption of all the technologies that, that schools are now embracing? Like, for example, um, I read this article about how in South Africa, students were going to go on strike because the majority of them are saying that they can't afford connection at home and like the government should st- invest so that they are able to afford connectivity is it is it a similar situation in ethiopia how do you see this going in the in the future i mean yeah of course like we we think we when i mean when we are saying uh, education has been impacted all we think about is like e-learning you know all those online classes that we see in the u.s and other western countries but uh, we do have to keep in mind that connectivity is a huge issue in Africa. Um, I mean, I read a report actually by GSMA, 
um, it's, uh, it says up its own connectivity, and actually it says that 20, 24% of the population in Af- sub-Saharan Africa is connected. Uh, 46% uh, is covered but not connected, and um, 30% uh, is not covered and is not connected at all. So when we're coming up with solutions, we have to think of uh, things that should work for us. Of course, like you said, the South African students, they're striking, they want change for, like they want the government to invest, but it's a huge infrastructure solutions that we're talking about. And it's not something that we can do like overnight or over a month period. Um, So I think uh, in my opinion, Given that we have this problem, we we need to address with what we are already we already have, like what what's working out there. Um, so, for example, here I have seen that most schools have uh, transformed their classrooms to Telegram. Um, you know Telegram, right? Um, so it's not WhatsApp. It's like WhatsApp, but it's, yeah, yeah. it's quite more. Popular. It's like WhatsApp from Russia. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it's huge in Ethiopia, by the way, um, much bigger than WhatsApp. Interesting. Yeah. So most of the classrooms have now uh, been transformed to Telegram because most people use it, most parents use it. So teachers have been sending assignments, homeworks, you know, all those notes through Telegram groups. Um, so we need to use the, the ones that we already have. And also I think, um, to, of course, this can only be done in even those that have connectivity, but I think we we need to keep the momentum going at least until we have like real e-learning solutions or things like that. So I think we should start using like television programs or radio programs for the education, you know, to to at least to reach those who are not really connected yet uh, until we have all the infrastructure and everything set up. Um, So, I mean, we've already um, like... gone very fast on the mobile technology as well. So, I mean, in Africa in general, I think we can also leverage that to reach the population that we can, I mean, at least in the education front. I agree with you 100%. You know what, um, going a little bit on the tangent here, you know what I I find really interesting is the the fact that all all those schools can't have their students uh, in classes now, yeah. How do you think just giving a student an internet connection and putting him in front of his screen or her screen for two, three hours every day in their houses where you have no idea how noisy it is, you have no idea if the, if the kid has, um, if the parents are going to let the kid uh, work without giving him or her house chores, you, you have no idea. Um, it's basically education is for most people education is having someone sit in front of somebody with knowledge mm. and i find that i've n- i never realized how bad it was mm. that is that nobody learns like that nobody learns mm. sitting for 5 hours in front of in front of one person who who is supposed to know everything and and yeah. this crisis has sh- showed me how how we need to really post covid-19 if we ever get out of this mm-hmm. we really need to really insist that pedagogy becomes becomes important again definitely i mean like school is not um just a place where you go to to learn those things like you mentioned like 
the technical aspects, like it's not just those things. That's also where we learn the social skills that we develop, um, like the communication, making friendships, all those things. You learn them from schools. You know, those are the, the things that actually have important, that, that are important in life later on. And also, like you mentioned, um, like not everyone has the luxury of having a quiet room where they can work in silence, you know, where they can do um, their homework, even even if we have, uh, like, internet connection. I actually was listening to a podcast yesterday, and I, I heard uh, this girl who was in college in U.S., um, and, I mean, she had all the inter- internet infrastructure and everything, but she couldn't submit her up assignment because she was at home. She's in college, but she had to go back to home. Um, and she couldn't do it because there, um, she lives in this small household and there were a lot of noise and she, she's expected to do certain things. So she couldn't really submit her assignment on time and she was sobbing and, she, I mean, she was crying and she contacted her teacher and everything. So that's when you see the actual importance of schools and the environment that it creates. It's not just like knowledge only, you know, there's a whole other thing behind it. Yeah, you make a very good point. Um, I I never went to I don't know what you call it in English, but um, maternelle we say in French, so school um, for babies. I never went to it, and I guess that's why I can't make friends. I think that's where I was supposed to learn that. <laughs> I think that's that's where I missed it. But uh, yeah, you, you make an amazing point. Um, um, yeah, especially in the developing world. Exactly. Um, since parents, the parents who pay for education in, in, in most cases in the developing world, um, parents went to a school where all you had to do is go to school. You had to sit and listen to someone and write, write things down and all. The, the concepts of education and the world of learning has evolved so much that um, not only do parents need to ask for more, schools need to ask for more from themselves, students need to ask for more from the schools and so and so. Mm. Um, it's, it's, well, at least if there is a silver lining, if anything, if we come out of this with anything that is useful is that, is that we need for schools to have a better approach and better, it, to understand that e-learning is not Google Classroom, computers for your lecturers and students sitting at home. But yeah, yeah that's, exactly. I guess that's a discussion for another day. Um, I've been absolutely amazed by the evolution of um, proctoring and e-proctoring and AI proctoring. For those who don't know, a proctor is somebody who looks after students while they are um, writing their exams. In French, we call them surveillants. And I discovered the word in English. It's it's a it's a bit more aggressive uh, proctor. It sounds like something serious, um, right? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a cop or something, like robo proctor or something. But yeah, so with COVID, an amazing thing as 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 uh, um, I, I remember one one school um, um, a dean from a, a school in in Tanzania asking me. Um, they, they've, they have given their lecturers laptops and they set up, I think they're using Blackboard. Mm. And, and their, their main issue was how do they make sure that their students can write their exams and they don't cheat? Mm-hmm. And that's when we got into the conversation regarding e-proctoring and AI proctoring. And it, it, it's opened this amazing, scary world of 
um, software that use your webcam to make sure that you're not looking away. That those are. I'm, I'll speak about the AI one first. The automated ones where they, they take data from the the webcam, um, looking at first first your biometric data to sh to be sure that it's you writing the exam, which is already very scary for um, human rights. Um, implications and and they'll they'll make sure that you don't look away for too long or look down for too long or look at some i find it absolutely crazy i find uh, there's no way like when i used to when i was going to school in an 1821 i would i would never look i, I would look all over the place I wouldn't be trying to cheat, but I'm just I'm just one of those people who can't sit down and look at the piece of paper. I need to look up. Look. So that's just for me, that's just another that's just another pain that we think of. We're thinking of of putting on students, uh, forcing them to look straight at the computer, blocking anything. Anyway, so that's one. And then you have e-proctoring, all those companies who offer um who hire people from all over the world who will be sitting at their computer looking at you while looking at like a, a, a hundred students writing exams through their webcams and making sure that they're not cheating. Yeah. What, what is, I find it crazy. What do you think of, of all, all this technology? Um, yeah. Um, so the way I see it is, of course, as everything, um, it has its pros and cons. Um, so... Let me, I don't know, maybe let me just start with a pro. So, like, yeah, um, there are some certain international exams that people have to travel long distances to take them. Some even go to other countries to take this kind of test. So this might make it easier for them to take it where, wherever they are, you know, and at a convenient time for themselves. Um and of course, like you mentioned earlier, it definitely it will definitely avoid cheating. So you know who the smart ones are, really. <laughs> uh, but yes, if you look at it uh, from a different point of view, of course, there's also this huge uh, privacy thing, where, like you mentioned, they take your biometrics, they have all your data, they know who you are, um, and they're looking at you, like you said, and you've been pressured. Um, you know, to do something. And um, I don't know, some people may even not be, you, you may not even think clearly, you know, because you know someone is watching you and you're not watching them. That's uncomfortable to think about. But, um, and also there's also the concept of what happens to that data, you know. They have your data, what do they do with it? Uh, if you fail that exam, are they going to take that against you for the rest of your life, you know? Um, so there's a, a whole like lot of things as any other technological uh, products that we need to think about and we need to make sure that uh, our data is not being utilized for any other purposes and, um, you know, I mean, or, there are already a lot of products that, that are scary and I, I do hope that this won't add anything to it. <laughs> Yeah, IT is getting is getting a bad rep. Like yeah. IT used to be so much fun. Like I remember back in the days, IT was just hope and and now anything that has to do with IT is just scary. It's, it's always it's almost always bad news. Yeah, it's like when you know more, you know what what could happen, and that's when you get scared. I think. <laughs> 
couldn't agree more. Yeah. Ms. Resha, it's been amazing speaking with you. What's next post-COVID-19? What you're working on? Where can people find you on the internet? What should we look out for? Tell us everything. Yeah, we've been working on a couple of things. Uh, one, like simple videos that we were planning on releasing. Of, of course, again, we, we've been using Telegram. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, Telegram is a huge thing here. So we've been using that. But you can find us on our website uh, at thisomnicoders.com. Um, that's our major main website. You can find every information there and we will update whatever we have on that website as well. Nothing to do now, darling. Nothing to do, you say. Let's take a trip on memory ship back to the bygone days. Sail to the old village schoolhouse, anchor outside the school door. Look in and see, there's you and there's me, a couple of kids once more. School days, school days, dear old golden rule days, I was eager to get Christelle Scharf's opinion on the role of the lecturer post-COVID-19. We live in a weird world where the most important building brick, I mean, it's arguable, um, of the education world is the lecturer. But the thing is, they are also often the worst treated. I mean, too much is asked of them, and especially in the developing world, they can go months without earning a salary. And as technology is well-placed to, to lessen the burden on them, what do you think the role of the lecturer will be post-COVID-19? We expect a lot from educators, uh, from teachers, from professors. We expect a lot from, from them. And lots of the time, yes, they have to, um, to do all these things like without, without being paid. That's a, the that's a reality of the, of the sector, in fact, of education. But um, I think also the, the role of the educator changed already because, yes, uh, you, you use the word uh, lecturer. So a lecturer is, uh, is someone who like uh, is uh, passing knowledge to the students. But in fact, the, the lecturer uh, has many other facets, like to help the students achieve what they want to achieve and so on. But the, the way we teach, in fact, should not be like a lecturer. Because a lecturer is just someone, yes, who lecture. But in fact, when you when you you teach, uh, you cannot expect just students to um, to learn. And students have very different ways of learning. So we need to take that into account. So when you you put a course online, uh, assume that you want to do it like uh, you lecture in a, a lecture at school, and especially in, a sc in schools in a, in developing uh, countries where you have like very very large classes. This is not possible to put like uh, put it like this online. You need to rethink the way you are uh, 
delivering a course. There are like so many different methodologies to teach. Like you need to engage students. You need to like uh, make them do project presentation. Um, they need to be involved because if you just, I mean, this is one of the big issues is like you need to like uh, engage your students. And uh, if you just do lectures, you cannot. So when you're putting a course online, you need to rethink how you want to like pass information. You you will have videos, maybe, uh, but they, they cannot be one hour video. Who will watch a one hour video online? In fact, uh, uh, very few people. And you need to engage them maybe with um, uh, short uh, questions during the video, after the video, which should be like three, five minutes long. You should like have other ways to invo involve them. And you don't only learn from um, an educator. I mean, you need to, to change also the class dynamics to have like uh, students learn, learn from each other. Uh, so uh, make them also uh, depend on each other. You create a community of learning, in fact, and then students they can be much more engaged. So yes, there's a, there, there are lots of things to still um, figure out. And um, but post COVID or not, the way we teach will be changed, in fact because we need much more engagement from the learners in our classes or online, which we have to find ways to do. Sandesh Shetty is the co-founder of Explico.sg. I was eager to get his opinion on what he thought the biggest differences in the world of education would be post-COVID-19. Education has been the biggest change in this whole scenario, you know, because online education and technology is coming up. I think they're one of the biggest beneficiaries in this whole pandemic situation. And I was just reading some of the some of the stats and data. You know, like China is expected to grow almost 12.3% this year in the edtech segment, which is absolutely around 61.5 billion this year. And um, if, you, if you look at all the all the other countries like India, US, and UK who have adopted all to this, uh, you know, online learning and education technology, the numbers are huge. And suddenly, I think some of the schools and education institutions have started realizing that it is very much possible. You know, technology can be adopted into your, uh, you know, academic learning. So now the biggest question is what most of the people feel is that after COVID-19, what next? Uh, when all the things get to normalcy and whether the schools will still continue to use this technology? The answer is probably yes. Um, I, think, I think this is a good situation for uh, most of this education institute that they can start uh, Start planning, you know, in a long-term solution and using blended learning, using technology. You know, the biggest example, I mean, I could I could see a solution is where probably all the learning can go online, and uh, probably the classroom can be more of a problem-solving, creative thinking. You know, it could be more practical projects, co-activities, and uh, they can emphasize on those part and leave all the learning on the online. You know, that is what you call as a flip classroom. I mean, that could be one of the one of the way where most of the schools can start taking benefit of it. So uh, I think I think it will it will continue to remain. Uh, obviously not at this large boom. Uh, like uh, most of the schools I've seen started using video conference tools uh, as as a desperate measures, you know. But 
that definitely is not a learning solution you you need a more robust solution which can uh, focus on how to plan the learning how you can uh, create content online that is that is actual e learning um and that's how probably most of the schools will start thinking you know once the covid is gone and we don't know what is lies in the future you never know what are the other calamities which we can face so i think most of the schools can be ready on that so and the most important thing is like they have started accepting it you know they believe that it is possible you know because i have seen so many resistance from many of the institutions earlier this they say no we cannot convert you know we cannot have because classroom learning is very important uh, you can't put everything online and all those things but i think now they have started realizing it is very much possible thank you for listening to this episode of the docio podcast thank you again to my guests Mazvesha Benian, Christel Scharf, and Sandy Shetty. And I'll leave you with this fact. Did you know that in the Italian language, a single strand of spaghetti is called a spaghetto? See you soon. <laughs>